for me, the whole journey or the whole issue about happiness started some years ago when I found myself in a situation where I wasn't happy at my workplace, in my own company. This is Linus Feldt, a Swedish company owner. I was exhausted. I was working overtime and I had a huge problems balancing work and life. And I started to notice that almost all of my employees were in the same situation. Linus is a CEO of Philimundus, a company producing computer games since 2009. At one point, he got tired of the fact that he and his employees were unhappy at work. So I decided to do an experiment with my team, and I asked them if we work in tens and focus for three hours, and then we have a lunch break for an hour, and then we work an additional three hours, and then we go home. What can we learn from that? What would change? Before we get the answer, let's just say that Linus had no problem selling the idea to his employees. I mean, who wouldn't want to work six hours a day instead of eight? 30 hours a week instead of 40? With the same salary? So how could a company afford such an experiment? And were the employees happier as a result? In this episode, we'll dig into these questions and explore different ways of achieving happiness at work. I'm Afton Halloran, and you're listening to the Nordic Talks podcast. These days, happiness is one of the most talked about issues in workplaces all over the world especially in the wake of COVID-19, with its lockdowns and working from home. For many, the pandemic meant time to reflect, not only about work, but also about life in general. People in the Nordics should know a thing or two about happiness. After all, they find themselves on the top 10 list of the World Happiness Index every year. But does this mean that Nordic people are inherently happy at work? That they've all mastered the infamous work-life balance? Not necessarily. In the Nordics and elsewhere, more and more people are asking questions about the meaning of devoting your life to a job. Yes, we hear stories about people who feel empowered to leave the jobs that no longer serve them. But there are also many workers who are equally hesitant, often because they don't know how to change their career path or working conditions. The participants in this episode will do their best to help us understand how to do that, they're part of a Nordic Talks event organized by the Harbourfront Centre in Toronto. The talk is a part of Nordic Bridges 2022, a year-long initiative fostering cultural exchange between the Nordic region and Canada. But first, let's return to the Swedish experiment of working six hours instead of eight. We took a lot of uh, interesting results from that. Uh, it was originally, my intention was to have an experiment for like a couple of months but we just kept going with that uh, principle for years uh, after that. But the most interesting result was the fact that people left work not being fatigued. They were sort of happy to leave work and they were happy to come back the next day. So I almost instantly saw the effect of people becoming more happy. That was like the most important thing that happened. We'll hear more from Lena shortly. But right now, let's take a step back and look at some other perspectives on happiness at work. I was born with a disability. I've used a wheelchair throughout my life. 
And, you know, I've constantly just navigated a world that really hasn't been built with me in mind. This is Mayan Ziv. She's a Canadian activist, photographer, and entrepreneur. That was really one of the things that motivated me to solve my own problem, to figure out a way to create a digital platform that could connect people with accessibility information to live more independent and meaningful lives. And I think that adds to a lot of what makes me happy. The freedom of choice the ability to make decisions based on access and independence. And I think a lot about, you know, the world that we live in now and having the opportunity to be beamed into an event like tonight, that element of equity and inclusion, I think, of being accessible in all kinds of ways is really a a very fulfilling concept for me. So I think that that adds a lot to how I define happiness. A few years ago, Mayan launched Access Now, a mobile app and website that collects and shares information about the accessibility of places worldwide. Is there wheelchair access, for example? Is there Braille signage or other navigation possibilities for the blind? Mayan didn't just start Access Now because of her own situation. It was also a response to the global demand for increased diversity, equity, and inclusivity in the workplace. And she's contributed to the decisive shift in thinking about the importance of accessibility by sharing information from around 35 countries. Now, one thing is physical and online access to the workplace. Another is the content of your working day. Sarah Vermunt, who's also a Canadian like Mayan, discovered what's important in her work life the hard way. I was once in a career that felt pretty bad for me. I was really worn out. I used to be a business professor of organizational behavior, so workplace psychology, Um, ironically, studying a bunch of stuff about workplace happiness. And the further I got into that career path, I realized, good Lord, I am not a researcher. I am not a scientist. And I found that, uh, for those of you who don't know, about 80% of a professor's job is research, conducting research, and only about 20% is teaching. So I loved the 20% of my job, and I was really worn out by the 80%. It just didn't fit me. So for a couple of years, I tried to power through, as people often do at the beginning when they're in careers that feel bad, we try to power through. Um, and that didn't work so well for me. I not only felt exhausted, but I had, you know, crazy things happening, like hives unexpectedly. I would get hives all over my body. I once passed out face first on a concrete subway platform. So things got pretty bad for me as I was in this position trying to power through this career that felt bad. And one day, uh, fortunately, I mean, it was very embarrassing, but fortunately, I had a breakdown in the middle of a crowded Starbucks. And the next day I gave notice Today, Sarah is leading the company Careergasm. She helps people figure out what they ultimately want, how to quit jobs they hate, and how to do work that feels good. So I have a ton of empathy for the people I work with because I know what it's actually like to feel stuck in a job that feels bad and to feel like there is no other path and to feel trapped And so workplace happiness for me, you know, doing this work, helping people make career changes for the past 10 years or so, I found there's a few things that are really important to people. Um, I would say one of the biggest things is being able to actually use your gifts 
in the world. And those gifts are different for every individual, right? And so as you evolve and grow, the things you enjoy and are good at might change and evolve too, which is why maybe something that once made you happy perhaps no longer makes you happy after a certain point in time. But I find it so important for people to be able to identify what their gifts are, what they actually enjoy, and be able to flex that a little bit at work. Um, that's certainly been my experience. So that's, that's a big part of workplace happiness for me. So inclusion, the feeling of freedom, and the possibility to show your talent are important factors for an employee. But what about employers? Do they find the happiness of their employees just as important? What if working less, for example, means less productivity, and in the end, less profit for the company? Let's hear from Linus again. I think there's a general conception, a wrong conception of the fact that if we work six hours instead of eight hours, we're less productive or we don't have time to do as much work. But we saw that you could easily do the same amount of work in six hours than you do in eight hours. I think that we all can feel that when we're at work at eight hours, we, we're not super focused on, on uh, exactly what we should do. We do other things in order to break the mon monotony or, or getting tired uh, because it is exhausting even uh, you know, even if you sit in front of a computer, it's an exhausting uh, kind of work. So what we saw was that going down to six-hour workday, we could sort of re remove a lot of fudge time or, or time spent in, in other things. And also we spent a lot of time in unnecessary meetings, etc. So we maintained the same productivity. This is not the same as that we increased productivity. We just took away a lot of dead weight. I'm hoping that we're seeing a paradigm shift in companies that doesn't believe that if we just treat our, our employees as resources, uh, you know, if, and we just push them harder, they're going to be more productive. I think that creating a workplace where people can be more focused but also have more time for, for life is something that will, in the end, gain the company more than, than just profitability. Linus also sees a shift in his employees' priorities. We did a study after the experiment where we tried to measure the importance of salary or pay versus time. And we saw that there's a, there's a change of opinion when it comes to that, that status is not as important uh, in terms of having a higher salary or having a higher career. People start to acknowledge that time is, is a very valuable thing. So for me, it was, it was obvious that, that, I mean, those two hours, uh, those extra two hours uh, was the world of difference for almost everyone at the workplace. But Linus also admits that the new way of working didn't fit all of his employees. A young programmer, for example, he was just, you know, ready to work 12 hours. What am I going to do with my, the rest <laughs> of my, my time? <laughs> uh, so we, we, we saw that, you know, for some people, it, it, it just didn't work. Um, however, and this is one thing that I found very important, is that if you compensate for those extra hours with money, then you create uh, a workplace where you have competition uh, in the sense that, you know, if someone decides that I'm just going to work six hours and the rest of the crew is going to work eight hours, then that's going to be frowned upon. People are going to think that, 
you're, you're abandoning a team, you're not putting, you know, the same, you know, uh, what do you say, carrying the same weight as we do. So it's very important not to compensate people that decides to work longer with pay. And so we created this, um, this exchange system that if you put in extra hours, you will take those hours and have an extended leave or something like that. Again, reinforcing the, the concept of time. And this was something that we found very useful for those energetic programmer that suddenly, you know, I can take an extra week off. And you were like, yes, that's exactly what you can do. And then, you know, it was all good. Time versus money. I guess it always comes down to balancing these two. But according to Sarah, there are several factors involved when you want to evaluate your working situation. I think your relationship to your work should feel... Uh, very much like the relationships you have in the rest of your life in that it should feel good most of the time. So if you think of the relationship you have with perhaps a partner or the relationships you have with friends and family members, hopefully those relationships are feeling good most of the time, right? But there are always times that stretch us, right? Those growth moments uh, where we can sort of like make a couple of changes, have some conversations that need to be had, and then things improve. Um, But then, of course, there are times where it's just not working anymore. Maybe you've outgrown each other and a change is needed. And so I think thinking of work, uh, you know, ourselves and our relationship to work as being something that should feel good most of the time is probably uh, a better, more realistic way to think about work. One thing is how you view your workplace. But what about how your colleagues, including your employer, see you? This is especially true if you're living with a disability, like Mayan does. There's really two models, there's two schools of thought uh, when it comes to any disability issue. You can look at uh, kind of what's called the medical model, which is this concept that there's a person with a disability and that person needs fixing. That person needs uh, medicine, uh, equipment, healthcare. Um, and, and we should do all of these things to help that person uh, be less disabled. And there's another model, which is the social model of disability. And, and in the social model, it says that there's actually nothing inherently broken uh, about the person who has a disability, but really it's about the environment surrounding that person that needs the fixing. So, you know, we look at the built environment and we think, well, we built steps, but if we created a ramp in that space, you know, we would allow many more people to engage. uh, And all of a sudden there's no issue. There's no reason for someone to not be able to access the space. And that's in the built environment. But what about in the workplace? What about people who are looking for jobs that are, you know, considered Uh, you know, less productive, or mm, I'm not sure if maybe this person would require too much accommodation, or, well, we don't really have disabled people here, or our space isn't accessible. And there are a million reasons why I've heard that, you know, hiring people with disabilities is difficult to do. According to Mayan, it's a shame that these excuses are being used by employers who don't want to hire people with disabilities. For one, there's a labor shortage in many fields. And secondly, a lot of potential is being lost. My disability personally has contributed to my resilience and my creativity. 
my ability to think outside the box and, you know, to be agile and to show up, let's say again, at an entrance that's not accessible and find 15 other ways to still get to the event or engage with the person I want to or do the thing that I'm trying to achieve. And I think those lessons of what disability can offer our workplaces and what disability can teach us about creating more accessible, inclusive products, experiences, services. I think that's the missed opportunity that I really like to connect employers to. That it's, it shouldn't be about a handout, you know, oh, it would be nice if we could include people, but really about, you know, this competitive advantage often that you're missing out on when you don't invest in diversity of all kinds. Linus agrees that employers should be much more aware. It's probably not enough just to trust your boss. Almost every company today have sort of an inclusion plan, but it, we don't see that that's totally working. So I think that um, knowing that you should have a place in the workplace is something that I would strongly advise to, to, to sort of own that space. Most people would probably agree that the COVID-19 pandemic has led to greater accessibility through technical solutions. Many companies have introduced the possibility of hybrid work, meaning some days working online from home and other days working from the office. But has it made inclusion easier? And has it led to greater happiness? You know, it's tricky because I think a lot of, you know, while we have access to hybrid work models, I feel like it's still largely an experiment. And, you know, we're finding that a lot of, not everybody wants the same thing. Um, and so, you know, on the surface, that that means that, like, of course, it seems great that we have these hybrid models so that, you know, people can be at work sometimes in the actual workspace, be working at home other times. I think the piece... And I do think overall that's going to contribute to more uh, flexibility and autonomy, which is really important, at least to a lot of the people I work with. So that's that's a big old checkbox for happiness at work for a lot of people. The part I feel like um, is still a bit tricky is it's also, you know, a lot of people really care about connection at work. And I think hybrid models make that a little bit trickier. You know, if we're all online in one place, we can connect a certain way. If we're all in one physical space, we can connect a certain way. And I feel like a lot of organizations are still working out the kinks for how to do those hybrid models in terms of connection. So I think once we work that out a little bit more, uh, I think once we get that connection piece, it'll be even better for people. I believe every single one of us wants to achieve happiness at work. But what do Linus, Mayan, and Sarah see as the most important step that we can take in that direction? Mayan first. For me, the one step that I would take is finding that sense of purpose and and letting that guide you. And, you know, for some people, you know, workplace happiness is about making a lot of money and that's their purpose is to make a lot of like, and that could be okay. Uh, You know, and to, to Linus's point, like sometimes it's about time. And, and having that time back. Uh, and I think for me, you know, I didn't really have a choice about figuring out like who I was as a person. Pretty pretty young, I was like, oh, okay, I, I gotta do things a bit differently. Um, and while I watched my kind of my friends and my, my siblings kind of grow up around me and try to figure out like, what, who am I in the world and what do I want? 
I think the the one kind of gift that I was given was that I kind of figured that out early. Uh, and I think that the second you find that passion and that that purpose that drives you, uh, and definitely with within the world of entrepreneurship, like that's the that's the name of the game. Uh, it just makes a world of difference and and adds completely to to like a life more fulfilled. So I think that would be what I would offer as a closing remark. Let's hear from Linus. I think that if you as employee wait for the company to sort of adjust themselves, it's going to take time because again, they want to be very, very profitable. I think that what you should demand is to sort of break out of your silo. This is this is where, where I'm, I'm put here to do this. That is one one very important step to take ownership of not only what you're doing, but also what the whole company is doing to sort of demand that you should be a part of or understanding the whole of the company. And finally, let's hear from Sarah. Yeah, as a first step, um, you know, I work with a lot of people who are desperate to get out of their jobs because they've they've been unhappy for a while. And so what I always encourage my clients to do as a first step is to, <laughs> to sort of... Uh, stop the like job search doom scrolling because it's like the first thing you want to do when you get out of that job is like you check the job postings, right? And the trouble with that is it's great if you know what you're looking for. If you don't know what you're looking for, it's kind of like looking for a needle in a haystack, but like without even knowing what a needle looks like. So um, I think it's really important to get clarity about what matters to you first. I have all of my clients, like the very first time we meet, I have them create what I call a hissy fit list and a squeals of delight list. And I have them write down what I call all the career ingredients of the stuff that drives them crazy that they would love to leave in their dust and not bring into the next phase of their career. And I have them really like itemize in a really granular and specific way the ingredients of the things that they do want, maybe some things they want to keep about their work, some other things they want to add to their work. And when you're working with a collection of ingredients, all of a sudden you can start to see things take a different shape. And that's a lot more empowering as a first step. So what really matters to you? It seems that more and more people around the world have started to ask themselves this exact question. That doesn't necessarily mean that we'll find our dream job next week or next month. Neither does it mean that once we find another job, things will turn out exactly as we hope for. But considering what gives meaning to our lives is a significant first step, big or small, as long as it's in the right direction, towards happiness at work. Check out NordicTalks.com to learn more about the people that you meet in each episode. I'm Afton Halloran. Thanks for listening.